0: Welcome to Short Course, episode eighty, for October twenty-eighth, twenty twenty two. I'm your host, Ben Barry. This week I want to talk about the experience of and lessons learned from running the Chrono at the 2022 Carolina Classic. And to start off, it's a bit of an odd place to be because often Chrono is not necessarily a position that's that's really prioritized. And so it, you know the, the question it comes up, why did I Either volunteer for or or get stuck with it, uh, and the answer is I, I volunteered for it. Uh, as it happened, one of the things that could have been better at last year's Carolina Classic was the fact that the way we ran chrono resulted in having to throw it out halfway through. And I thought to myself, everything else seems to be working okay. Maybe this is an area that that I can step in and help. And so I volunteered to run the chrono and try and do what I do when I approach anything, it would just break it down, look at everything, try and figure out, does the way that we're doing each piece of it make sense? How can we make it better? How can we improve it? And that resulted in in a number of positive outcomes. And I just wanted to go through those today. As a preface to this, I should say that this all somewhat started in 2019 when Stephanie Berry, my wife, took over as section coordinator, she'd actually stepped in the year before, but that was the first year that she was involved with overseeing the NC section championship. And we ran it at Sir Walter and I made the suggestion that we should collect chrono ammo on one of the stages. And so what we ended up doing that year was on the stage that that I was working the last stage before chrono, we picked eight rounds out of a mag that the competitor had used during the stage, put them in a, a Ziploc bag and bundled them together. The the one logistical uh, hurdle in, in this case was that we were actually stage nine at the top of the hill and the Corona was all the way at the bottom. So our, the best solution we could come up with was we, actually just took all the Ziploc bags full of bullets, zip tied them together. So that if somebody tried to pull theirs out and mess with it, hopefully it would be relatively obvious and handed it to, whoever the last shooter on the stage was. Did we think people were cheating? Probably not. But we thought, why not try and have a more robust system so that just in case somebody is, maybe we have a chance of, of catching them. And in that case, it, it worked out. I didn't hear about anybody going minor at the chrono. Again, it's a, it's a local match. Um, even, even regionally around here, I don't know that anybody really is, is that interested in cheating for the the glory of being North Carolina state champion, but it's more about the process. For me, it's about looking at the rules and saying, if I were going to cheat, what would be the biggest hole I would use to, to do it? And then saying, can we make the rules? Can we set the, the system in place such that it is more robust to to whatever that opening is. Now, you're never going to get it to zero, but if you can close the biggest gaps, if you can pick the lowest hanging fruit, you can make it harder. And so to me, in a way, it was more about the, the challenge of how can we make this process better and better? And so we stuck with that same process of, of collecting ammo at the stage before Chrono through 2020 and 2021, which were the two years that the match has been hosted at ROAN. And so for this year with me, stepping in and taking a little more active role, I thought, okay, what's the next step? And what seemed natural to me was the idea of, instead of people knowing by now, if they had shot North Carolina, they would know that we probably would collect ammo from the stage right before chrono. And so if I knew that, I would just make sure to use full power ammo on that stage, right? In, in, this, in this theoretical scenario, you have somebody who has some sub-minor ammo or some sub-major ammo And they use it for most of their stages, but maybe they keep a magazine on their belt for when they get asked for their chrono ammo, they give eight rounds out of that magazine, and the rest of the day they can shoot whatever they want. So if somebody is doing that, the idea would be, rather than make it so if they wanted to, maybe now instead of having a single magazine of chrono ammo, maybe they have a few, and they make sure to load up the mags for the stage before the where they know the chrono is going to be because you know it's on it's on the squad matrix. It's pretty obvious when you're going there. And so it's not really a a secret or a surprise. And so you at that point you once you clear chrono, you know you're pretty much scot-free and you can shoot whatever ammo you want. And so the idea that I came up with was basically to have chrono not be something that you go to at a known time at a spot on the squad matrix. Just have somebody from the staff driving around pull up to a stage and whoever the current shooter on that stage is when they're done, take eight rounds of their ammo and tell them you need to go to chrono before the end of the match, or you shoot for no score and you need to bring the gun that you're shooting. And we'd talked about different ways to, you know, make sure they didn't change guns. But again, that's, that's probably a pretty minor thing, really only relevant to maybe open where you have different number of, of ports in the barrel that might affect power factor and that sort of thing. But, but we, we talked through a, a number of solutions for that. And the basic idea was whether it's your first stage or your last stage, you have no, no guarantee that you won't be randomly sampled for chrono at this stage. And so the idea is whether or not we catch people at this match, if this is, if this becomes known, if this is the way that North Carolina runs chrono, then it becomes really hard to cheat. And so why bother? And so the idea was to establish this, even if we weren't to actually catch anyone cheating, the idea would just be to, to establish this as, as the known thing, the way we run this match, and hopefully deter cheating and, to some degree, set the example that possibly this could be used at larger matches. Now, as it happened, I had written up a proposal for this, and I had reviewed the, the chrono appendix, which I couldn't find a, a, a rule that said that, that it, it couldn't be done this way. And it was pointed out to me after I submitted this, the Rangemaster... Mike Adams pointed out that there's actually a rule in the competitor equipment chapter of all places that has a very explicit wording that says every competitor must be chronographed. And I tried to read that in as many ways as I could. I even ended up emailing Troy and trying to see if there was any room for an interpretation in there to basically say, well, every chrono every competitor that you do chronograph, you know, power factor has to be ascertained via chronograph, but I I was basically trying to find a way around this this every competitor rule. And what he came to, which is the plain reading of the rule, is no. The rule says every, so it's got to be every. Now, you might want to change that, and I, I think it's hopefully something worth discussing. But what I found just particularly shocking from the whole exchange was his attitude where he was saying, it seems like you think pe- people at your match are cheating, and if that's the case, then I want to know about it. And why do you think everybody's cheating? What are you so worried about? And I'll I'll post actually have a a blog post up with the email conversation because I think it's pretty interesting. I I was very surprised by his reaction. Like I say to the in the intro to the to the blog post, if he had just said, hey, here's the rule, there's no leeway, that's that, then all right, fine, move on. But it was the fact that he he said repeatedly that he wasn't worried about this kind of cheating and why am I worried about it either. That really jumped out to me. And again, I I have no idea if anybody's doing this. I just know as someone who looks at rules from the outside and thinks where the gaps are, if I wanted to cheat, it would be very easy to do so. But anyway, you can go read that blog post, make your own decisions. But as it is, there is a rule in the, uh, I think it's 5.6.1 that says every competitor has to be chronographed. So that was what it was. Nothing we could do about that one. All that that really left was to say, okay, within that restriction, how can we make the the chrono as good as possible? As good being a balance of if someone were trying to cheat, at least making it difficult for them to do that while also making it efficient and trying to catch all kinds of rules violations, not just the obvious ones. So looking back at the the previous years, another thing that I wasn't particularly happy with about the way that just due to circumstances that we'd had to run chrono was the idea of taking declared bullet weight, which is the competitor can show up with whatever ammo they want and you shoot it over the chrono and determine its velocity, but they can tell you what the bullet weight is and you're not verifying it. As it was, that was just a, a logistical thing. It was kind of perceived at the time that it took too long to to pull the bullets. And that was one of the things that as I stepped in and and was taking over this responsibility, I was looking at ways to fix that. I, I was trying to say, how can we actually pull bullets in a way that keeps up with shooters coming through chrono? And this is one reason that it's common. at matches to just have competitors at the beginning of their first stage, everybody's just handed a Ziploc bag and told, hey, put eight bullets in this bag and we'll send it to chrono what that does is it gets all the bullets to chrono well ahead of the competitors. And so it means that the people at chrono can go ahead and pull those bullets. Typically what I've seen done is, is they use the hammer kinetic pullers, which you kind of need time to, to use because they're, they're pretty slow and they're annoying and they, you know, your arm gets tired doing that for a while. And so to me, that, that approach of just asking competitors at their first stage, Hey, give me some bullets out of, you know, whatever mag you want was was not really, that was not going to cut the mustard. And so I knew that we would need an approach where competitors were, like before, coming from a stage where the bullets had been gathered from the stage where they had used it. That that at least was working from previous years. So I wanted to keep that going. And so the question is, how can you speed up the process of, of pulling a bullet? And so I looked around and what I eventually hit upon was this idea of uh, an RCBS bullet puller that uses a collet that's meant to be mounted into a reloading press, and I thought to myself, well, we can put a single stage press on the range, or Lee makes this fifty-dollar hand press that theoretically they say is, I guess, for loading test ammo on the range. Um, whatever, I, I can't imagine doing that, but but that's what they sell it for. But it wasn't that expensive, and so we bought one and the RCBS collet puller and just in my garage, I just got kind of into the rhythm of being able to pull bullets from the random bucket of live rounds that had just collected on my reloading bench. And, you know, things, things got, it worked. It, it actually worked surprisingly well. I, I found it much faster than, than using the hammer puller. You had to have a little bit of finesse with, uh, tightening it down and on certain different bullet types, but I was able to get the hang of it within 20 or 30 bullets, just kind of practicing in my garage. So I thought, okay, This is going to work. We can actually pull bullets this year without having to use the hammer pullers, or at least the hammer pullers will be the the backup. Most of the stuff we can do with with this collet puller. And we ended up doing it. Every single shooter that came through Chrono ended up having their bullet pulled by that RCBS puller. Now, we did end up, because John Royer, the match director, happened to have a Lee single stage press and we had a little wooden stand that we were able to screw it to, we did actually end up switching over to using that that single-stage press. But when I was preparing for this scenario, I was expecting that we would have some plastic folding tables, not anything that we could really mount a, an actual proper press to. But I, I definitely think having it in the press made it even faster. It just—the the, the process was completely seamless, and so that would definitely be my, my recommendation. I For example, I can't imagine why— nationals doesn't just have a setup like this it would cost maybe 150 bucks for the the press some lumber to build a stand to mount it to you get the rcbs collet puller itself with the collets for 9 40 and 45 with the lee presses the way their shell plates work the 9 and the 40 share uh, shell plates you only need a one of those and then a 45 shell plate the whole thing all in was under 150 bucks and so and it was it was fast it was easy and it didn't require us to get the bullets submitted ahead of time so that to me was a was a huge win i still think the hand press could have worked i kind of got the hang of it but as it happened i actually ended up being paired with stephanie for a good part of the match just because of shortages and she was able to jump in and, and help for a good chunk of it and I'll admit it definitely does require some hand strength and and kind of wears on you the the thing definitely is uh it's got it's got pokey bits on it so it's not the most comfortable thing and having the the single stage press was definitely an upgrade if you can swing it if you have somewhere that you can that you can mount it near your chrono station it's yeah it makes pulling the bullet take no time at all the way that we managed actually collecting the ammo I think worked well this year. The, the main thing that we changed was instead of having Ziplocs that we put the bullets in, we actually had some, they're called cash transmittal bags. And they're basically, it's, it's a kind of plastic bag with a, with a strip that you can peel off. And then it has some really sticky adhesive underneath it. And the idea is once you seal it with that sticky adhesive, you can't undo the adhesive. And so the only way to get anything out of the bag is that it, you've, you have to rip the bag and then it's pretty obvious that you've tampered with it. And so we were able to buy a couple hundred of these bags, you know, one for every competitor plus 20% or whatever. And the stage that we were right next to would, the the RO would keep one in his back pocket for each shooter. And after the unload and show clear and range is clear, but before anybody goes down range to score and paste, which with staff reset means only the staff are going down range anyway, before anyone went down range. The RO would just hold up the shooter and say, I need eight rounds from that magazine. Sometimes it would be the magazine he used during the stage. Sometimes the RO would actually point to another magazine on on their on their belt. So it the the stage in question was a it was a short speed shoot. There were what three poppers, four papers, so eleven rounds, I think. And so it was you could easily do it with, with one magazine, but the idea by picking a random mag off the belt sometimes was maybe you have one mag of chrono ammo, but do you have a whole belt full of chrono ammo? Again, as it was, we we didn't end up catching anybody. Nobody went sub-minor, and so nobody was caught by this process. But by people going through it, I think it builds the impression that North Carolina is not a match to mess around with these things at. There might be matches where you can get away with this kind of thing, but it's not us. And so In one sense, you can say we failed because we didn't catch anybody cheating, but on the other hand, I think you can say that we succeeded in that if anybody were likely to cheat, they were deterred, or they were successful in gaming the system, and maybe they just had one mag of Chrono Ammo, and and they managed to put their bullets in the bag from from that one mag. Who knows? But anyway, the, the cash transmittal bags were a cheap solution, and they solved the problem of having to chaperone the shooter from the bay over to Chrono, which it was only the other side of a concrete wall, but it did save one person having to basically stand there and make sure they didn't go to their bag and try and swap the ammo out from from something in their bag. Because once the rounds were sealed in that bag, if they showed up to Chrono with a ripped bag, at that point, we would have had some serious, serious questions. And nobody did. They just walked right over. But there were also times when we would have a, a small backlog of one or two or three shooters and... We weren't having to watch them like a hawk because again, we were pretty confident when they stepped up and handed us this sealed bag. It hadn't been tampered with. So, you know, one of those places where an innovation outside of shooting can, can really pay dividends. I think we'll be doing that again. If, if we run chrono this way, it was, again, they're not that expensive and it just gives that, that little bit of confidence that people aren't tampering with the, the sample that you've collected. The other big sort of equipment change that we did make this year was switching to using elaborate our chrono. So we had a pair of the CED 3000, 2000, whatever fancy chronos, and they they had a plywood box that they lived in, and we had to find somewhere to store the plywood box for every weekend around the the calendar that that we weren't actually using it, which was you know fifty one out of the fifty two, and that was kind of a pain in the butt and the they were finicky we had had issues with the the light bars getting shot and when the opportunity came to pick up one of the the lab radar it's actually the light model so it doesn't have bluetooth which is perfectly fine for our needs because we're not trying to sync it to one of the chrono officers you know phones or something and it did cost basically about what two regular chronos would cost but it's a one-time investment for the section, which is nice. So wherever the section goes, now we have it. And the section had already invested in, in the, in the chronos, the other chronos, which were just sitting unused again, 51 out of the 52 weeks of the year. But I, I have to say the the lab radar was everything I'd hoped it would be. As it happened, we did end up having a spare. So we were actually able to run two side by side. And if you position them correctly, they, both of them can pick up a a single shot. And I will say they, they both were very close to each other on all the readings. They were within five or 10 feet per second on almost every reading. And just having one probably would have been completely sufficient. I, I, we maybe had five or six shots that just didn't get any kind of registration, uh, on, on one of the chronos where it was nice to have the second, but that's a, a better success rate than I've seen from a lot of the, the light based chronos. So it, it definitely if you had to choose between two light based chronos and building a box or having one lab radar, I, I think you would be better off going with just the one lab radar. The, the rulebook says it's better to have two. And yeah, if you can swing having two, if somebody has one that they can bring. So that, that's that's what our situation was. The, the second one belong to Nathan Carter of shooting sports innovations. And he just let us borrow it for the weekend. And it, it worked, you know, worked great to have both of them. If you can do that, I think that's really the, the best setup you can, you can hope for the, the only real drawback or downside or gotcha that, that I found, well, there, there's two, one is PCCs, obviously, especially the quieter ones have trouble setting off the mic which the lab radar then uses to start trying to detect the bullet so it's sending out a a a certain amount of of radar pulses at all times but when it actually detects a shot from a loud noise next to its internal microphones then it actually starts recording and, and looking for the bullet and basically what i found is with maybe half the pccs it was no issue it would set off both lab radars and i would say with about half or so of them I basically had to get the muzzle, and they recommend you have the muzzle of the gun no closer than six inches to the to the lab radar. But I had to get the muzzle maybe two inches away, right next to the to the internal microphone, which is just right at the the three o'clock or the nine o'clock position on the on the box. And once I did that, it would it would pick up the shot. Now at that point, only one of the lab radars was picking them up anyway. But when it did that, we got a good reading off that one. And there were no issues with with doing that. So in that sense, that that was one of the places where having a second one didn't really do much for us because with a lot of the quieter PCCs, we were only getting a reading off of one anyway. But once we got it right next to the, the, the one lab radar, it picked up fine. And then the second issue is just aiming the thing. So it does... You do want it to be aimed at the target you're shooting at just because of the way it it picks up the, the bullet traveling and it's having to do the trigonometry on what its path is that it's taking. And so for most shooters, I would, I would actually, or at least once per squad, I would definitely, I would get behind the little sights on top of the lab radar and make sure that it was pointed at the target that we had about 15 or 20 yards down range for this purpose. And just make sure that it was lined up because if the thing does get bumped or jostled and it's pointing in the wrong spot, you're going to get very low readings by like two or three hundred feet per second. So it should be pretty obvious, but it's definitely something you need to watch out for. And and it's worth—they have a a little folding tripod that they sell that has some good locking adjustments on it that I found to be pretty reliable. And then the second thing is you can actually 3D print a little—it's a—it's like a little almost soda straw type thing that that goes on top. It basically replaces where the the normal little v-notch gutter sight goes but just even having that that little tube to aim down versus the v it it gave me a little more confidence that the thing was pointed in the right spot and again i made sure that it was that way for for all the shooters and we got good readings for every shot and so yeah i I couldn't be happier with that the other part of the way that we ran chrono this year was really trying to actually check everything that the rule book says you should check so not just weighing the gun and boxing it, but doing some equipment check of the belt, checking that the guns, if the primary safety is active or, or not disabled. And that definitely took a little bit of, of figuring out sort of the right order of operations to do that in. Now, the one thing that, that we couldn't do was, was to gauge every magazine. And I, I couldn't come up with a good process to actually do that. I think if you really want to check competitors' magazines, you need to be gauging them on the stages. And so the way we had it, we just had the competitor come up with their gun and an empty magazine. And depending on the division, we'd either weigh it with the empty magazine, gauge the magazine, that kind of thing. And what I found was the the best sort of order of operations to go through things in was have them step up and then tell them to put the gun on the mat with an empty magazine and then take the gun, do whatever checks needed to be done to the gun. So gauging the mag, weighing the gun. And I actually had a, a checklist that I hand wrote the first night or the first day. And then we actually did it that night. We went to the hotel, little business center, typed it up and printed it out. And so I had it taped to the table in front of me, which was actually really helpful because occasionally the competitor would banter with you or you would be distracted by something or another. And just being able to go back to the checklist and just say, OK, production, weigh it. Uh, check for list compliance, all of these, all of these things, just having a, a little checklist per division and being able to, to refer to that and make sure you hadn't missed anything and having them honestly in order too of, of the things that were most efficient to check worked out pretty well. Most of the stuff was, was pretty standard. Um, some folks were surprised. I, I weighed almost every gun um towards the end if i if i felt like you know it was a production gun it was obviously a plastic gun with with no modifications some of them i I skipped throwing them on the scale but for a lot of them i would just go through the process especially if we were running ahead of schedule just in the interest of of thoroughness and weigh it box it i did in accordance with the rules i did check that the primary safety was functional and not disabled on well all guns Um, obviously if a if the thumb safety on an open or limited gun were disabled or non-functional that would that would be an issue and for the most part it was it was no issue so obviously anything that had a, a thumb safety i just checked that with the hammer back and the thumb safety on it blocked activation of the hammer if it was a striker gun with a trigger safety where there was a some part of the trigger that had to be depressed for the whole body of the trigger to move i would just make sure the rest of the trigger couldn't move unless that lever was depressed No issues there. And it didn't take very long at all. Again, by having things in a sort of rhythm, by just being able to go through them, this and that, then this then that, it didn't take very long at all. And what was nice is while I was doing this, whoever was helping me, either Stephanie or John Royer, the match director who ended up, they ended up tag teaming just as either of them had availability. They, they were able to pull the bullet and weigh it and get that entered into the tablet and be ready to start shooting and, and capture the velocities so the the person on the the sort of left seat was would take the bag cut it open take a bullet pull it weigh it and then they would have the tablet they type in the bullet weight and then be ready to, to read the velocities and in some cases they would have time to even load a few bullets in the magazine for me so i would make sure to if it was a, a division that had a gauged magazine i would make sure to gauge the magazine first so that it was available so The other person could pick it up and and load rounds if they had time. And then from there, I would dry fire the gun a few times and then I would load the magazine with a few bullets in it, shoot it over the chrono. I think we only had two or three that, that we even needed to shoot additional rounds and then unload the gun. I would then lay it down on the mat and have the competitor step up, holster it, and then stand right where they were and just do a quick equipment check. So take an overlay, make sure that the butt of the handgun is at or above the top of their belt and then depending on what division they're in check if the distance from the inside of the inner belt to the inside of the handgun match the the division requirements and that that's the one that caught the most people now in every case they were able to fix it and continue on in the match so it was more just people kind of having their uh, their match flow disrupted by having to bring their gear back into compliance which is the way the rules are written but there was a, a real sense that people were not expecting to have that checked. And in most cases I had to explain to folks what the, the rules were and what they had to do to get the gun back into compliance or the, well, in most cases it was a holster, uh, not the, the gun. <laughs> you can't really change the gun itself at that point. And at that point, once, uh, once I declared the equipment check a pass, the person running the tablet would turn it over to the to the competitor to review and hit approve. And then they would be on their way. And, By the middle of Saturday, we had this down to ninety seconds or less. It was it was very efficient and we were easily able to to keep up with the stage in front of us. Now, there are always going to be some backups if you do have somebody that you need to shoot some extra rounds for or you have an issue where their their gear is out of compliance and so you have to you know, everything doesn't go smoothly. So there there will be backups for that. But when everybody was just breezing through, we were we were able to pull the bullet, weigh it, do I, I think every check every gear thing in the rule book, aside from gauging every single magazine. That's really the only thing we could have done more. We we're checking safeties, weighing, uh, boxing any anything that, that the rule book required, and then load a few rounds, shoot them over the chrono, enter the velocities, and off they went. One thing that was definitely a topic of I don't know some friction or resistance was, I guess, people at some matches have gotten used to expecting to walk up to Chrono and be given the command, make ready. And there is a recommendation, but not a requirement in the rule book that Chrono should be run that way, that when the competitor steps up, they should be told to make ready. And in my personal opinion, that is just confusing. If you know what it already means, then great. But when they would come up to my Chrono station. I would stand up, I would look at them, I would indicate the mat on the table in between us, and I would say, lay your gun and an empty magazine on the mat in a sort of flat, you know, range officer kind of tone, just like that. And I got maybe a handful of folks saying, are we good? Or is that make ready? And I would just repeat the command because to me, make ready means make, you know, load the gun and make it ready for a stage. It doesn't mean do what, you know, the the chrono station has a separate set of requirements, And it's worth noting for PCC, because I found that this was an issue, I would, I would tell them lay your carbine on the mat with the flag out and the dot on, because I would, I had a few where I was, you know, trying to un, unflag their PCC or the dot wasn't on or something like that. And so by giving them that specific command, again, it got things into a place where we could just start testing the gun and (laughs) move on with the process it's, I, I know this is probably going to be a debate that continues. I, you know, if you know what someone means by make ready, well then the meaning of make ready is clear. But if you don't, then I, to me, just giving simple, straightforward range commands that declare what you would like the competitor to do in a safe way to me, that's, that's just better. And so I, I went that route again, there, there were a few people that kind of questioned, you know, ask that, okay, are we good? And I would say, yep, we're good. And repeat the command. And then at the end, I would tell them, you know, step up, holster the handgun, stand right where you are for equipment check, which most people understood meant just freeze right on the spot. And because I was on the right side of them for all the right-handed shooters, then I could just take the overlay, do a, do the quick equipment check and call out equipment check as a pass and, and move on. And so that process worked really well for us. I would, if I were to do it again, I would, I would run it that way. But I know that this is a somewhat controversial opinion because, you know, some people think, Make ready is is the only command, and I I just don't see it that way. As for how everything actually ran, like I said, there were a, a good number, maybe 10, 20 people that we had to get them to adjust their holster position just because they were not aware of the equipment rules and in one case one guy said oh you know i just won this this holster bracket at at some area match and i just put it on and this is my first time using it i didn't even realize that this was an issue you know it's like well okay i mean that that is what it is but here's the rules there's the safe area here's what you've got to get it into compliance with come back when you've fixed it and we will allow you on in the competition but you can't start your next stage until this is fixed those are the most common ones um, we did have we'd have one guy uh, his open mags just didn't fit the gauge he said he'd you know they'd passed at some other some other big match they passed the gauge there but they didn't pass our gauge and he had he had two of them and they both didn't pass and so you know it is what it is the the one that was definitely the most sort of eventful issue is we did have a carry optics shooter shooting a shadow Two come through and I like I said, just part of the routine, part of my checklist, was check that the primary safety is functional. And I was actually pretty surprised when I racked the slide to cock the hammer, put the thumb safety on on this nicely worked out shadow two, pulled the trigger, and the and the trigger fell. And so at that point, uh, called over the range master, talked to the competitor, and what we ended up coming down to was the gun is considered unsafe. And it has to either be repaired or he has to go to his backup gun. But this gun in its current state, he cannot continue in the match. And I I did actually email NROI and verify that that was the right call. And they they confirmed, yes, it's unsafe gun. You can't continue either repair or or replace it. And it was funny because this guy is his main match gun. He mentioned some custom gun builder and he said it was like he paid like three thousand dollars for the shadow Two, which is obviously quite a bit more than they actually cost so it had had a lot of work done to it and i guess one of the things was you know whatever the trigger work was it ended up disabling the thumb safety but he had a backup gun the thumb safety worked on the backup gun we chronoed that sent him on his way and and it was all good so that was that was definitely one of those areas where the the rules are not crystal clear i mean the 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 division rules for production and, and carry optics say the primary safety must be functional but they don't say necessarily what the implication is, what the, what the ruling is, if that's not met in a lot of cases, if you don't meet the division requirements, you're bumped to open, but this is not one of those times apparently. So other than that, everything went smoothly. Uh, like I said, we were able to, to keep up. Uh, we didn't have anybody any issues with people making their declared power factor. We just had the, the one issue with, uh, with the the magazines that didn't fit and overall I think this really gave us some good lessons learned we hopefully have a a template to follow in the future now if I were if we we're running another big match tomorrow the the big thing that the big kind of gap in the the way we run things this way is you're doing equipment check whenever you come to chrono which for some folks was pretty late in the day I do think at a big match you should absolutely have someone or everyone on, on each bay that knows the equipment rules and can just do a quick equipment check. Just make sure gun, holster, magazine positions are all, all legal before you even start the first stage. And I know there are, there are a lot of matches that, especially bigger matches that do do that. It's not something that, that we've done, but that's something definitely that, that I'll be recommending or looking into how we can do something like that next time. Because again, we did catch some folks coming through equipment check and, made them fix the issues but if we could have caught it before the first uh, state for their first stage of the day obviously that would have been better the only trick being it's not extremely complicated but there is a little bit of nuance to how exactly the the measurements are done where the measurement is taken what you're looking for in terms of the so you know for the height measurement it's the heel of the gun that has to be above the belt but for the the distance from the belt measurement it's any part of the grip but not You know, but safeties don't count, and so just a a quick refresher on exactly what the what you're looking for, what's in in compliance, what's out of compliance, and then having someone on each bay before each squad starts just review the the competitors on their bay. I think would go a long way to fixing these issues because then the competitors can do it potentially before they even start shooting, which which would be ideal, and then obviously you know, long term I, I hope that we can get to a spot where the the rules allow, they don't require, but they allow for some kind of, of random sampling. I, I genuinely think that having people sort of go single file through Chrono, knowing when it's going to come, is it's it's a way to cheat if you wanted to. And I think potentially you could have a less of a backup. Your your match flow could be significantly better by not having the having to spend the time to send everybody to chrono and you just have to sample 10%, 20% of your competitors in each flight, make sure they go to chrono before they leave the range. So either over lunch or at the end of the day, or if they have time, which during a staff reset match, they would in between stages. If they can come over to chrono, they shoot one stage, they're done, they load their mags and we've already collected their bullets from another stage, but they come over to chrono and while the, the staff on their bay keep running the squad, right, they, they're not needed on that bay for, for, for reset to help their squad out, but their squad can keep running while they come over to Chrono on any of the bays nearby. I mean, at Rowan, there's easily four bays within a, a quick walk of where we were hosting Chrono. So if someone had had their bullets pulled and then as they work through, they, they don't have to wait till the end of the day to come to actually shoot the bullets that we, that we randomly pulled. They can do it in the middle of the day. Thanks to staff reset. So I, I, I think there's a real opportunity here. It, you know, bums me out that we weren't able to run it that way, but on the whole, I still think we did the best we could with the way the rules are written currently. I think the, I think the, the process that we worked out was quick and efficient and I would definitely recommend to, to do it again. If you have any questions, if you you want to connect the chrono guy at your match with me and talk over things or ask questions, you, you have my email, just send them to me and I'll do, do whatever I can. Do I think cheating is utterly rampant in, in USPSA? No, but I think everybody who is playing on the level appreciates having the confidence that everybody else is playing fair too. And so to me, it's more about respect and fairness and just making sure that if somebody ill-intentioned, did want to come in and try and cheat at our sport, which there have been a couple of those over the years, a couple of them from North Carolina, in fact, they would have a hard time. You're never going to stop people if they're really dedicated, but, but I want to at least make it as difficult as I can without making it overly difficult on the match staff. And to be totally honest, I think a random sampling chrono would be easier on the match staff than, than this process of trying to get people through on a, on a fixed schedule. But the, again the rules say every competitor right now and so we'll we'll keep following the rules for as long as those are the rules well that wraps up this episode of short course if you want to get in touch with me my email is podcast at berryshooting.com talk to you next time